0: Here. Captain! Oh. Signature's detected! Shields up! <laughs> Signature's detected! Red alert. Context Starfleet Command. What's happening? C- context Starfleet Command. Relay that order. Context Starfleet Command. This is the captain! C- context Starfleet Command. Get out of my chair!
1: Chair! 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 chair.
0: We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons.
1: Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation, which is a different Star Trek podcast, but kind of the same Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison.
0: I'm Adam Pranica. They're like, they were two separate Venn diagram circles that I feel like are getting closer and closer and closer, right? Yeah. As we call back jokes. Yeah. From one show to the next. That's fun. They cross-pollinate, you know? We're not trying to manipulate... Where, where's my ca- This is my camera. We're not trying to manipulate you <laughs> into listening to the other if you only listen to one. It's just a natural extension Like, Ben and I are talking about the other show besides the one that we're recording at the moment.
1: You know how the states are the laboratories of democracy? (laughs) If you're a citizen of one, the greatest podcast, you're a citizen of all of them. But they're, you know, they're just working it out in slightly different ways.
0: You can move freely between shows uh, without having to go through customs. There are no
1: interstate, you know, interstate taxation stuff. You know, For Uxbridge
0: uh, Shimoda properties, the customs are the jokes. <laughs> yeah. This metaphor is too
1: hard. Let's get out of it.
0: You want me to do something to really cross the streams, Vin? Uh, I mean, Dr. Spangler told us not
1: to, but uh, I like to live dangerously. I have a jazz horse update that well, I kind of want to <laughs> drop on you. <laughs> That's totally a greatest gen thing. We can't
0: do that on The Greatest Discovery. Oh, I think we can. And I'm gonna. So jazz horse, for those of you who don't know, is the uh, term of endearment that Ben and I give to the game Red Dead Redemption 2. It's the cowboy game it's yeah the game where you ride your horse and, and pick the, it's your the herbs. game
1: so red they redeemed it twice
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you were with me this is something that I've wanted to do for a long time I wanted to set up a twitch stream so yeah. that so that I can start making my own money Ben <laughs>
1: you don't want to be you don't want to be tied to the lead weight that is Ben Harrison.
0: I don't want to have to depend on you for allowance. <laughs> I'm going to start mowing lawns. And that's yeah. what I'm doing with this Twitch stream. I've done it twice. Uh, uh. once was on accident. <laughs> <laughs> Where my stream was going for ten minutes as I was nudging pixel by pixel the like title on the on the lock screen that would appear before the show starts yeah, that was fun yeah. so there was that stream and then there was the real stream, which was the Friday of Max Fun drive and that was something that you joined me for
1: yeah, speaking of crossing the streams, yeah,
0: this is like three shows standing at a trough toilet at a stadium. <laughs> Interlinking arms Yeah (laughs) So for that first hour you joined me on it We figured out a way to set it up so that We got both of our audio streams And then Just
1: a stupendously complicated Technical hurdle
0: It is so dumb I don't know how people do it
1: You and I were connecting with Google Hangouts And you were screen sharing with me So I could see in slightly more real time What you were doing in the game Right And then my audio was going down the line to you via that and then you had to use a different piece of software to like mux our two two audio signals into Twitch. (laughs) And then another piece of software to screen share your PlayStation into Twitch.
0: The uh, the memory load on my computer is as significant for this Twitch stream as it ever is, like, processing <laughs> 4K video. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a good thing you have a very powerful uh, computer for, yeah. for video editing. I don't know if it would have been possible otherwise.
0: What I want to be able to do is make a box for you in the screen so that the both of us are on the screen talking and Whoa. doing. And then the next level after that... I don't believe is possible like I've looked into the idea of, of can we play at the same time and then cross cut between us on right. this on one single stream and I don't think that's something that you can do which is too bad
1: that seems like a major feature oversight on twitch's part
0: right if your main goal is to get kids opening presents Uh, A million dollars a year i guess you only need one stream and one camera and like (laughs) like (laughs) one setup so yeah i think we're just trying to kit bash what they're doing in such a way that that they haven't even thought of it maybe they have and we we just don't know i look in their defense
1: we have made over complicated almost everything we've ever tried like our tour is way more complicated than it probably needs to be yeah just recording a normal episode is probably way more complicated than it needs to be
0: The way we do payroll and uh, <laughs> And expenses Yeah yeah, It's all it's all really bad We've It's all a headache <laughs> So that first hour you and I played together And it was great because I had you there Helping me read the chat stream A couple hundred people showed up for this Which was way more than I expected Yeah, especially uh, like
1: during work hours Yeah yeah. I guess East Coast maybe people were off work by then,
0: right? Uh yeah, because I played my time from I think 3 until 5 or 2 until 4 or something like that.
1: I think it was 2 until 4 cuz I had to leave yeah. at 3 for the
0: other live stream I was on. When you left, Ben, something happened. Yeah. <laughs> something I haven't told you about. Oh boy. <laughs> Part of the greatness of you being there was, like, I, I wasn't playing with one hand tied behind my back with this chat stream. Like, I could right. concentrate on the game and not dying and not killing my horse. Right. But when you left, that arm went back behind my back. <laughs> and I was, I was getting caught up in reading and talking to people and riding yeah. a horse. A lot of plate spinning. I, I was blowing up deer with dynamite. I was going dynamite well, you, were, you were doing that before I left. Uh, and I killed Horsey Thick, Ben. Oh! I killed him in such a way that he's forever dead. Oh, no. I think what I've learned this time around is that I need to stay away from water while I'm on my horse forever. Because I was what I thought I was doing was riding in the shallows to wash him off. Because you remember this. My horse yeah. was covered in blood from this dynamite hunting. You had a very dirty, bloody horse. And so I rode him into the water to wash him. I believe this was a Ben recommendation. Yeah, you you can either hold
1: the, the L2 button and hit square, or just ride your horse through water.
0: Yeah, I... I took, uh, I took the water less traveled, and it made all the difference, because it killed my horse. I've never... My horse has never died. What's so messed up is I was so distracted by everything that's happening, I was like, oh, uh, all I need to do is give my horse horse reviver, and I did. <laughs> and the horse woke up, and then for some reason that horse got switched with a random horse that I got on, and I lost Horsey Thick. What? So, I was momentarily riding in the water. Why are you surrounded by horses? I was I was riding in the water, and then I know Horsey Thick was alive when I rode him out. But then yeah. I fell off of a cliff, and then <laughs> we, and then we both fell back into the water, and that was the point where the horse died. Wow! And so Horsey Thick dead, and I ended up finding a wild horse and riding him to a to a stable where I thought Horsey Thick would reappear. Right. Because that sometimes happens Yeah The game won't tell you if that's possible But occasionally your horse will, will be a zombie horse that you can re-ride
1: Isn't, yeah, there's some kind of like horse insurance, right?
0: Yeah uh, Evidently did not have the insurance <laughs> Horse is dead And so I'm openly grieving the death of a horse with my Twitch stream In a way that I was not expecting I thought this was going to be a chill hang It end up, It ends up getting super heavy really fast <laughs> And Damn. so everyone's like go back to your autosave man like like reanimate him through cheating and I was I really went back and forth a long time on this wow finally did except the last autosave that I had in the game took me all the way back to genuine my very first horse what so I'm I'm back on genuine and I'm back in like chapter 1 of the game like so far back that I'm like oh my god I'm like that's that's how terrible I've been with save hygiene Like, it's, it's fucked And I couldn't do it I'm back on Genuine and I'm like, Genuine's dead to me I can't ride Genuine ever again Yeah,
1: you've so, already mourned Genuine
0: So I loaded up the autosave to the game Where, uh, where Horsey Thick passed And now I'm on some random, random fucking paint Like, just some, some horse that I have no I don't even know if I have the heart to name him <laughs>
1: Can can I suggest a name? Yeah. Thought (laughs) T-H-O-T,
0: that horse over there. (laughs) (laughs) Done and done. (laughs) I feel a lot better now.
1: I'm glad I could help you through that, buddy. Speaking of like Western environs, do you want to get to season two, episode 12, Through the Valley of Shadows?
0: Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. This is a, a dissolve filled episode, Ben, and it really starts right off the top with uh, Michael Burnham rewatching one of the uh, video logs by her mother. They do that thing where their eyes match up in the reflection in the frame.
1: Yeah, it is a it's a really interesting kind of sequence of images because it dissolves her mom, Gabrielle Burnham, into her. And then her adoptive mom shows up on three-dimensional conversation technology.
0: Michael's got three moms, doesn't she? She's got Giorgio, She's got Dr. Burnham, her mom. And then she's got Amanda Grayson. Wow. This is kind of your three
1: temples theory, but three moms theory. That's another stream we're crossing.
0: (laughs) I don't know if I have that paper written. Like, I'm looking down at my printer and nothing's coming out. So, yeah. Yeah, I'd, I would have to conceive of the three moms theory a little more.
1: She is feeling really, really bummed out about uh, her biological mom, and uh, Amanda Grayson call Amanda Grayson's call is specifically to uh, give some sympathy for what Michael is going through, and also to kind of like flip it on its head, right? Like. You didn't lose her again like she's been trying to help you the entire time and you should take some solace from that.
0: If Amanda was a little more of a terrible stepmom, she'd be like, you know, you still have a mom, by the way. (laughs) A mom is still alive and that's me. Yeah. Like she never goes manipulative on this and I think that's great. And she's really kind of the best, because she, she also
1: really gives Michael a vote of confidence. Like, like uh, against all of the crazy
0: odds, you found her, and I, I believe you'll find her again. Amanda's like, next time you come to Vulcan, we can go to the store, and you can pick out anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, buy their affection, Grayson. Yeah. <laughs> Spock interrupts the conversation, and... He's, like, on duty, but he's not wearing a uniform, right? Why is that? I'm not quite clear on whether he's
1: on duty yet or not. He gets to go on missions. Yeah, yeah. He definitely seems like he is on... I mean, he takes an order in this episode, so it seems like he should put the put the uniform back on. He's but...
0: working as much as Culber is, and Culber's back in uniform.
1: Yeah. Maybe they just didn't have a uniform that fit Ethan Peck.
0: Yeah. Uh, Spock's there to tell Michael that the fourth of seven signals has appeared above Boreth. Okay,
1: I think I might have missed something. What? There were seven signals. Uh They know that there are seven signals. Uh Uh-huh. They don't know where, but then they start appearing, and now there's a fourth of the seven.
0: Yeah, like, contextually, are they calling it the fourth because this is the, the order in which they became aware of them? Because it seemed like... Early on, they all appeared at the same time, that they were simultaneous.
1: Right, and I don't understand how they appeared, but they didn't know where they appeared. Yeah. But now they're appearing and they do, but what the fuck is going on with that? Is this something that I'm not going to understand
0: until we re-binge the season? I think we're showing more interest in this than Michael Burnham at this point, because she (laughs) is like, uh, well, I know it's not my mom, so I don't really care. She's all about chasing down Leland.
1: She is she is angry at the puzzle. Like if this was a jigsaw puzzle, she would be <laughs>
0: sweeping it off the table. <laughs> yeah. She's really testy in this McLaughlin group. Issue one. Doesn't want to participate. Kind of insubordinate, really. Like mm-hmm. if not insubordinate adjacent in this moment. Yeah. How does she know it's not her mom? This is the problem with time travel stories, right? Like there is no past and there is no future. So it could be one of her mom's travels from the past.
1: Right. From a future before her mom yeah. lost track of the of the time crystal.
0: Exactly. <laughs> Weird. I'm tapping my temple right now at you, Ben. <laughs> mm. Which of uh, which of the three? Yeah. <laughs> Ah, fun. (laughs) (laughs) They're arguing over the best use of discovery here. uh, Because Burnham is riding for the chase of Leland. And Pike is like, look, actually it's Saru that's like, we cannot put this ship proximate to Leland because it contains the thing that he wants. What we should be doing is... We, We should be playing keep away with Leland. Right, right. And so that is what they do. They end up spore jumping to Boreth in a very off-screen spore jump kind of way.
1: Yeah, no, no build up to this spore jump. You're just left to digest that that's what they did.
0: I really like how we cut to exterior Boreth wide and the ship drops in, like, contextually spore jumping in the way that it does. Yeah. We don't need to be taught how this works. And
1: then we crossfade to
0: Ash Tyler's screen and he's
1: looking at the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Fun. Yeah. Sometimes a show or a movie will be edited in a flashy way that's like, God, like, they're just, the editor's just jacking it all over this.
1: (laughs) That's hand ticking.
0: This episode was really tightly and well edited. That was, like, it walked right up to flashy and then took two steps back into uh, well and competent, you know?
1: Yeah. You're supposed to put on your ensemble and then take one thing away, right?
0: Yeah. I think... Who is it? Walter Murch. Is he? He's the famous editor, right? He is. I read a. I read a book of his in the blink of an eye a long time ago, and he said, "If you notice the edit, it's bad." Yeah, he's like, "That's how you know good editing." And that's definitely not what we're saying here. I think we're noticing the editing as being unique among shows in season two, and and we like it.
1: (sighs) Yeah, but it's propelling the story, and it's not. It's motivated. yeah, it's not, it's not a bunch of speed bumps in the cuts where right. it feels slick and cool without being Did we flashy. go
0: upside down this episode? I don't think so. Like, th- these are the transitions that I've wanted all along. Yeah.
1: Whatever it is, you're not telling us about Boris.
0: So Michael Burnham
1: comes uh, into Ash Tyler's room and confronts him about what she caught on his face in that McLaughlin group. Uh, she knew that he did not tell the the whole truth and nothing but the truth about Boris. and uh, and what he divulges to her is that uh, he had a baby. He'll be raised as a son of none, like I was. And my son, technically, Vulcan's son. Our son. My name is Denovik.
0: Outside of Voke is Ash, Ash is Voke, this is the second biggest secret he's ever had. Right. And and when he drops this in Michael Burnham's lap, uh, she is as cool as cool gets. This may be the largest moment of science fiction in this show's history. (laughs) How fucking cool with this Michael Burnham is.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's... They were on a break in his defense. (laughs) And they're not entirely back together, but they have uh, played a little bit of tonsil hockey lately. Right.
0: Yeah. It's what the Japanese call unagi. Yeah. uh, On a technicality, she can't be mad at him. Yeah.
1: He also gives her something in this moment that, uh, that shows that he's ready to trust her which is uh, his his uh work phone from section 31. Right.
0: Unlocked and everything.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh this uh this is some information about a section 31 ship that failed to check in uh at its designated time, which uh you know, anybody that's seen any submarine movies knows that failure to check in can can be a, a potential major problem.
0: Later on they refer to the number 30 as a quantity of section 31 ships that constitutes almost their entire fleet. Do you think that there are 31 ships in section 31? Or is that too dumb? Second to last note I (laughs) wrote down. (laughs) I hate how none of them are named. I hate how you can barely see the registry numbers on all of them. Yeah, I hate the way they look. They are—they're all USS standing desk. That's—they're super what they dumpy. Are. Yeah, they're not pretty. There's no—there's no romance to that ship design. No. You don't see a Section Thirty-One ship and go, "That's—that's that's what I want to stand up and command." <laughs> yeah. You think there's a lot of those anti-fatigue mats on the floors there? Uh, uh, oh yeah, with the like memory foam. Yeah. In them. I'm standing on one of those right now. Nice underfoot.
1: Yeah, you never have one for uh, for me when I record over there, nor do you have
0: anywhere for me to sit. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm making improvements around here, Ben. Improvements yeah. that'll make you more comfortable. I noticed that you got somewhere for John to sit when he comes over to
1: record. <laughs> That's nice.
0: He's an old man, Ben. <laughs> 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 you can't have him standing up for 90 minutes That's longer than any show he's ever done As a rockman <laughs> Pike meets with, uh,
1: with Chancellor Lorel, Who has shown up on her new D7 Hell yeah! And, uh, and Ash Tyler And uh, they're talking about uh, why Borath might be The place that a fourth signal should have appeared and it uh, turns out that uh, that Boreth is not just a Klingon monastery site. Uh, it is also a time crystal mine.
0: It's something that Worf never brought up in TNG or TS9, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how this hasn't, uh, this hasn't entered the canon ever until this convenient moment. Maybe Worf is canonically really good at keeping secrets. Wow. wow. Maybe he was going there and time traveling... To a time before Doors existed. It's not a retcon that Boreth
1: is a time crystal mine. It's the retcon is that Worf is awesome at keeping secrets.
0: It's retcon on top of retcon. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. There is a bit of an argument that went, I, it went by so fast in the Klingon part of it that I had to watch it three times so that I could read all the subtitles. Yeah. But Ash Tyler is really keen to go down there so that he can uh, see his baby. And Lorell... Is not on board with that. She doesn't. She feels like it is too big a risk to both the baby's life and the kind of uh, stability, political stability of the Klingon Empire. And so, uh, so Captain Pike is the one that uh, is going to go down. He uh, he volunteers.
0: Lorel gives a fairly ominous warning in this scene about how a human's never been there. You you can't just go get one of these crystals without paying a significant price. And Pike kind of makes the case that the total annihilation of sentient life could poke a hole in her no-tolerance policy on, on visiting the monastery. Yeah. And, He's like, uh, what
1: would you pay for that, Laurel? Yeah. I mean, like, how high a price would you say that's
0: worth? I feel like very few pe- like, people have said the words, the extermination of all sentient life in the galaxy, many times. But few people respond to that in a way that it's meant to be heard, which is everyone dies, including right. us. It's weird. Yeah. Ben, is this the only place that time crystals exist in the galaxy? Because where did Dr. Burnham get her crystal? And did she have to make a sacrifice the way Pike was asked asked to in order to do that?
1: I think that, yeah, her crystal came... I think Leland arranged for her to have that crystal, and it was a Klingon one, and that's why the Klingons
0: came for it. Right. Right. I'm going to sound like I didn't know the answer to that question when I asked. <laughs> but that's just one of, you know, you never want to ask an interview question that you don't already know the answer to. And that's right. Right. That's right. what happened there. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think that that's just emblematic of like
1: how story dense some of these episodes are. It's yeah. like you could like we watch these two times and sometimes we don't absorb all of the all of the plot information that we are being presented with.
0: Ben, I really love the exterior of the monastery shot that we get here, and if you look in the bottom right corner, you can see Pike climbing the stairs, like, the stairs to Castlevania in a very, like, video game-ish style stride.
1: Yeah, like PlayStation 1, where there would be, like, a two-dimensional background with a three-dimensional character walking in it. Right. I loved it.
0: I thought that was neat.
1: Yeah. I thought it was cool, too. I I thought it was cool the way they cross-faded from Saru's face and, like, the rock had some Saru loaf detail in it.
0: Another great Um, transition, yeah.
1: It was. Uh, Because, like, the second Pike leaves the ship, uh, Michael Burnham goes to acting Captain Saru and is like, hey, how about I go on a super dangerous mission by myself? And he's like, cool, go for it.
0: Yeah. When Dad says no, ask Dad. Right. (laughs) Um,
1: she wants to look into this Section Thirty-One ship that has uh, has been filing late reports, and uh, she's she's getting the uh, previa ready to go when Spock shows up and says that uh, he's been ordered to make this a brother sister road trip.
0: And because he's not in uniform, I guess she can't tell him not to.
1: <laughs> Shall we, sister? We get a lunchroom scene, a very like high school vibe lunchroom scene. I want to say. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've got some thoughts about this.
1: Uh it seems to be like lunchtime because everybody is there. <laughs> like it is much more crowded in uh in the uh in the commissary than we are than we typically see. Cut to a uh,
0: blinking sensor display on the bridge like showing a a growing threat gathering. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no no Detmer and Olo to to exchange glances with each other because they're down playing Word games with each other
0: Yeah We've got a real high school lunch table situation A division of people And I thought a lot about this This is a scene that I watched a couple of times On table one we've got Stamets Did you,
1: did you wear out the VHS because you were jacking it so hard?
0: Oh yeah Well <laughs> all scenes depicting lunchroom clicks are, are horror movies to me And so <laughs> I was not sexually charged at all
1: Oh really? Cuz like they were terrifying to me but then my uh, I turned it into an erotic oh. fantasy. That's why you have
0: all those hairnets in your <laughs> in your nightstand?
1: Yeah, that's that's why there's a, a
0: vat of mashed potatoes under my bed. <laughs> that's <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got all weird when we got that square pizza <laughs> in Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, yeah, that I my pants tented yeah. the second I saw that thing.
0: So, table one looks like the nice people. It's Stamets and Reno and Detmer and Owo, Linus, and New Arium. And then table two are kind of the mean girls, I feel like. It's Culber, Reese, Bryce, and Nan. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting and and definitely thoughtful division that was intentional.
1: Yeah. You know, there there are a lot of other people also. Like, you know, Culber definitely like says hi to Admiral Akbar when he comes in, mm-hmm. and like the characters that we have names for mm-hmm. are are like divided up between two tables, and then there's a bunch of other anonymous people also.
0: Yeah, it's a real um, riot in there. Yeah, uh,
1: Jet Reno wants uh, to get started with Stamets on the uh, time crystal research that they're going to have to do, um, but. Uh, but he is very distracted by the whole him breaking up with Culber thing or uh, actually Culber breaking up with him thing. And uh, and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you're still bent out of shape over this. That's been it's been weeks. <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> it's going to take longer than that Jet Reno. Uh, Yeah, but I like that she is blunt with him. I guess I, I've I've liked the characters that have been been blunt with him, but I also kind of miss some characters talking to him in a way that is like caring and um, empathetic. You know, like Spock and Jet Reno have have both just dumped a bunch of like get your shit together, uh, Commander Stamets. Yeah,
0: lines on him. She seems to be an outlier in that her point here seems like one of get over it or move on because life right. is exciting and you're about to do some exciting science and that's what that, like that is a main point of joy for people like you and me right and and that makes her different because everyone up until now has seemed to be you can do it you guys were meant <laughs> to be like they write yeah. songs about this shit right? so th- that's a way that I appreciated Jet Reno's message here right down on the planet, we
1: get to meet a Klingon who turns out to be Voke and Lorel's son. Yeah. He's all grown up. Uh-huh. For some reason. Uh, played by the same guy that played uh, Cole, right?
0: Yeah. It's Kenneth Mitchell who also played Cole and Cole Shaw. Yeah. How'd you like that job? Kind of a great job. I don't care if you kill my character. I'll see you next week. He's, he's kind of the Tom Morga of disco. <laughs> Put him in any loaf. <laughs> yeah. He can do all the loaf. I love Pike's snowy action jacket. Yeah,
1: that's cool. Big fan. Is it the same design as the action jacket that Spock was in when he was trying to mind meld with the Red Angel?
0: Oh, was that one fur-lined?
1: Yeah, he had like a fur hood. And a, but he also had like a ninja mask.
0: Give me that fur-lined jacket. Do you think it's triple fur? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, the jacket would have started shaking with fear the second he showed up at the monastery, though.
0: That's right. It would be very irritating. But the friction would probably warm you right up. Oh, yeah. It's a fringe benefit.
1: <laughs> see what I Fuck. See what I there?
0: <laughs> Ooh. Oh, this is a great episode. <laughs> yeah, really firing on all cylinders. Eee. <laughs> Uh,
1: so, because of prolonged exposure to these time crystals, um, Tenovic, the son of, uh, of Voke and Laurel, has, uh, I guess, sort of occupies lots of times at once, is the implication.
0: Yeah, the story he tells is, like, once you become one of these guardians, you have a relationship to these crystals that sort of kicks you out of linear time. And you
1: have a relationship to time that is non-standard. Right and so uh, so he's basically saying, like, "Listen, like I respect that you came here for a time crystal. But, he's really uh, been
0: time othered, hasn't he?
1: yeah, <laughs> uh, he's kind of a time cuck, you know he has to sit <laughs> sit and watch time do what it does to everybody else.
0: Wow, yeah, ding." <laughs> <laughs> uh I really he's a nasty little timecock. he does not have a lot of time for this I mean, sorry, <laughs> there aren't many moments in this episode that he has to deliver this exposition, and I thought right. it was it was interesting that they deliver it visually and also verbally, like you see these trees grow, you understand yep
1: and uh and the deal is like they don't really they don't really allow time crystals to be removed from the planet um, some some discussion is made of like of the idea that the Klingons kind of abandoned the idea of using time travel as a weapon because it's too fucked up which is a an amount of restraint that I'm uh, you, you don't usually see them
0: exhibiting I don't know guys maybe you should nuke the site from orbit and build your monastery on top of the rubble
1: <laughs> it's the only way to be sure
0: yeah you really need to suspend some disbelief for this part of the story to work. I think,
1: right? Like, why? Why the time crystals are holy? There's something to do with Kalish, <laughs> also at uh-huh. Boreth, but it's never
0: linked to time crystals yeah. in any way. Yeah. On the one hand, like I'm very curious about the architecture of Boreth, like as a thing. Like it looks. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's a church in Barcelona. <laughs> but I also... Yeah. It's one of Gaudi's few uh, off-world works. It, all, it totally looks like La Sagrada Familia. You're right. Yeah, it does. But for as strange as it is to draw that comparison, I really love the walk that they take. I love how they have to cross that lava bridge mm-hmm. with the three, the three podiums.
1: I I thought it was a little distracting that Gandalf was there yelling, you shall not pass at them. Yeah. Uh, But but they just walk right
0: by him. He doesn't really put up much of a fight. Pike is such an interesting character to make this journey, too, because he kind of suspends his Starfleet captaining for a moment and just becomes Pike the man.
1: Yeah. Pike the guy on a quest.
0: Yeah. And I like that about him.
1: Yeah. Back in the shuttle, Spock and Michael... uh, Are having kind of an argument about how this whole, this entire season of television have really pushed Michael Burnham to the brink of nihilism. Like her sweeping all the puzzle pieces off the off the table. This in this uh, this moment is what Spock is trying to unpack, and he's really trying to pull her back from the brink of that. He's saying like, listen, like we like don't get frustrated, don't get don't like succumb to the to the rage you're feeling like we've got to solve this problem and we can. It is solvable. And uh we can do it with teamwork. And they drop out of warp, uh, where the section thirty one ship is and uh and and uh
0: run over a body
1: <laughs> I think he's dead.
0: And then they throw it in reverse and then they speed off real fast. <laughs> yeah.
1: They sort of pull a shug knight in this <laughs> in this moment. Um but yeah, like uh, space is full of bodies. There's one life sign. Somebody managed to get into a spacesuit before the Section Thirty-One ship's entire crew complement was vented into space, and uh, they beam this guy aboard. And uh, it is a, a familiar face to to Michael Burnham. His name is Comron Gant.
0: With enough lead time, I really think you and I could have been frozen space bodies on this show. Right. And I just want to put us out there. I know the production calendar being what it is, we should probably put ourselves out there right now for some time in season three. That would be great. I would love to be a frozen dead body.
1: If you're listening and you work on Star Trek Discovery and are in a position to make this happen, I will repeat our offer. <laughs> we will fly ourselves to Toronto. We will pay for our own accommodations. We'll accept whatever scale the union obligates you to pay day players, and we will donate that to charity. But we want to be in the show.
0: <laughs> the first couple of those are things that I also agree to. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I agree to all those terms. I, I also want to say, like, I'm not so claustrophobic that you can't stick straws in my nose and then cover my head with uh, with prosthetics. Like Yeah. Like, gross us up. I want weird loaf. Like you haven't had a straw up your nose more than a couple of times, Ben. <laughs> Are you saying I do a lot of blow? <laughs> as long as uh, these straws for the both of us are a hundred dollar bills, that's uh, a <laughs> very cokey
1: Star Trek podcast.
0: <laughs> it'll uh, feel just like Star Trek Las Vegas. My
1: threat ganglia dumped out the second I saw this guy, and I thought it was surprising, given what happened with Leland in the last episode, that Spock and Michael Burnham were totally unsuspicious of him initially.
0: Yeah. I really love the two one second cuts that the show gave us. Again, great editing, but I love that flashback being like metronomic. Yeah. And then we're back.
1: Yeah. I also really liked in this scene that they show through like the shot of him beam, of them beaming him aboard is from the back of the shuttle. So you can see his body outside the shuttle beaming from space to inside the shuttle.
0: Cool. Really yeah. cool. Yeah, I don't
1: know if we've ever seen that before.
0: Gant kind of tells a large Marge story about what happened <laughs> on the ship, wherein uh, he was attempting to delete his browser history when the computer locked him out and then yeah. vented the ship into space.
1: It's, it's kind of taking a page from the Sphere Archive playbook, which right. is that it protects itself when somebody tries to delete it. And... Um, He's kind of just learning that everybody else but him died. And, like, I was suspicious of him in this moment, but I was also like, ease up, Spock and Michael Burnham. Like, let this guy cope with the fact that everybody he works with is dead now. Instead, they're like, we got to get on board that ship and solve the problem, and you're
0: coming with us. It's hard because once you see what this guy is up to later on in the episode, and then you watch the episode again, you realize that. Uh, their story could have ended right here right. in the shuttle. Right. There was no reason to keep them alive, except for story. Well, it wanted to It wanted
1: to get them moving in the direction it wanted them to to move.
0: Yeah. One thing that TNG did occasionally in Deep Space Nine, too, is that the empty dark ship is the scariest thing in Star Trek, and we just get barely a taste of that before they're able to flip it back on again.
1: Right. This character, who I'll, uh, I suppose, call... Contramarin
0: <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> engineers the situation where Spock and Michael Burnham are separated uh, Contramarin and Michael Burnham are like are like pulling cables out of the floor while Spock is like uh, reformatting the hard drive They're, they've got some, some plan to kind of trap control in one particular part of the computer and then you know unplug that hard drive and uh, and Michael Burnham kind of puts it together, just kind of like she's just kind of casually chatting to to Comren when he he slips up and lets and lets some some kind of control uh, sympathy slip out.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a control sympathizer. Mm-hmm. You can't be like that around Michael Burnham. She's gonna sniff that out big time. No, she fucking hates that shit. There is a big
1: theme running through this episode. Uh, that you see a lot in uh, time travel sci-fi, specifically Terminator, uh, about fate. This situation between Michael and Contramarin, he's saying, you know, like, she believes that her fate is sealed now that she's lost track of her mother a second time. Um, We get the scene where Pike uh, has to kind of commit to a fate that would leave him uh horribly burned and in some kind of you know professor x style wheelchair if uh if if he's going to take a time crystal uh fate is uh is very much like a a leitmotif in this episode and i thought it was interesting that control ai seems to feel that it is it is out, uh, you know it is like kind of independent of fate but that all of the all of the human characters are subject to it
0: yeah Contreras' monologue sounds vaguely borgish in in how it articulates this, but he yeah. kind of spikes the football before winning the game, right? Because he goes on and on about how inevitable his win's going to be, but at the same time he kind of admits that Michael Burnham represents a variable that he can't quite uh, resolve for. Yeah.
1: And that makes me wonder, I mean, I don't know what's going on with Pike like That, you know, in his vision where he sees his own face melting and then he has to kind of like, I am Starfleet, pep talk himself into committing to his face melting at some point in the future.
0: I love that scene. Let's talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, let's talk about it. You believe in service,
1: sacrifice, compassion,
0: and love. You and I have both talked about how little we've seen the original series, but even even an idiot like me knows like the significance of the chair and Pike's fate as a character. Were you very hip to that at all in this moment?
1: I was not. Yeah. So this is a thing that actually happens to him.
0: Yeah, he is horribly injured in a training exercise that is not shown in TOS. Only the aftermath is shown. So in that TOS episode, Pike goes back to Talos, where he is able to live out the rest of his life as a person who has been disconfined from his wheelchair due to the power of the Talosians that was made apparent a couple episodes ago. Right. That we saw.
1: It's the same deal as that lady who has a mangled face in reality, but lives as though she does not.
0: This is the episode I feel like where Anton Mount really made the leap. I thought his performance here was really great, especially if you were to, I think what this scene looks like on paper is a lot of Pike reacts or Pike right. screams or Pike recoils in horror. And everything that Anson Mount gives this scene, seems like something that isn't written. And this is another moment where a main character screams on the show, but I, I really dug his performance a lot and I was really affected by it. I don't know if it, if I was more affected by it because I knew about his character. Were you disaffected because you weren't?
1: No, I wasn't disaffected. I I wondered if that cuz I wasn't aware of that at all. So yeah. I uh you know like we meet Pike in in the JJ J. Abrams Star Trek movies as uh, played by Bruce Greenwood and so I I um I'd never seen the episode where he uh is mangled like you mentioned. So this was, uh, this was new to me.
0: Was this a Indiana Jones situation where if he had grabbed a different crystal, his future would have been different? Or do you think any crystal he would have grabbed would have given him this vision?
1: I don't know. Like I'm kind of reevaluating what I imagine the meaning of this episode is the more you tell me about this, because I kind of was understanding this to be an episode about how fate isn't real Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. that the future isn't written this is not a calvinist episode but maybe it is
0: yeah once he withdraws from the crystal that pep talk that you described i i watched a couple of times too because the first time i watched it it looked like pike was telling tanavik what he was and who he was and why that would be the reason for his decision but once you Uh, i thought he was telling himself but you're right once you realize that that he is he's so fucked up by the vision that he needs to kind of recite his own Starfleet scripture to himself. Like right. he needs to ground himself back in that present reality by telling himself what he is.
1: Recommit to his, his core principles.
0: Yeah. Like hand on combat. Like he needs that grounding again. And Tanavik like respect knuckles him at the end. He's like, you still want it? Pike's like, hell yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's another moment that fate comes in, right? Like when he talks later to Laurel and and Ash Tyler, he's like, your son was destined to be on Boreth and was meant to guide me to that conclusion.
0: Such a well acted scene by Anton Mount again, like to stumble over the present and past tense of his instrumentality in the story. I, I thought was great.
1: Yep. And also, like, pretty fun to watch Lorel and Ash Tyler react to the idea that their son is, like, talking to people and doing things. Yeah. Because <laughs> they're imagining, like, a baby. Yeah. Jet Reno shows up in Six Bay with a uh, pretty, pretty bad hangnail at him.
0: Uh, the kind you need to hold over your head so that you don't lose a lot of blood. The kind that uh,
1: necessitates a pretty intense talking to by the doctor
0: about the necessity of of straight nail clippers and not curved nail clippers
1: yeah exactly
0: is that a real recommendation i had always heard that you want to cut straight across to prevent hangnails i of course don't do that like i think you'd need to curve around your fingernails and keep your toenails straight cut right that's why the toenail clipper is the straight one and the and the hand nail clipper is the curved one you use a different clipper for your hands and your and your feet? Yeah, man. Hell yeah. What the hell? <laughs> That's whenever you buy clippers, they don't they come in in sets of two, one of them for toes and one of them for hands, and the toes one is big. I use the big one on both. Whoa, really?
1: Yeah. Wow. I don't like those little tiny ones. I don't have enough. Uh, I don't have enough leverage to get through the, the nails for one. <laughs>
0: Because your your nails are like a half mil thick?
1: Yeah. I need a, I need a, the end of my lever to be much further from the fulcrum, you know? Wow.
0: Wow, you're going to get
1: some letters. Every time we talk about a personal hygiene thing, somebody tells me I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Uh, uh, they kind of exchange notes about what getting married was like, and uh, it turns out that Jet Reno's deceased wife was personality-wise, very similar to Stamets.
0: Non-denominational shuttle parking. I like this moment where they talk shop about what it's like to be married to a type of person. Mm -hmm. That's sweet. Yeah.
1: I'm sure our wives have had conversations like
0: that. I'm positive they have. (laughs) But out, Jet Reno, she adds her name to the list of people who are telling Culber what to do. You're just mad that... uh... You're gonna to have to do a power hour. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Has Culper always had this beard? Yeah, he's always been a little, a little, uh, a, little a little bit, bit of beard-y. a beardsman. The salt in that pepper uh, seems new to me. Maybe it's not.
1: Maybe uh, the white in his uniform is bringing it out.
0: It looks good. It looks great. Wish I could grow a beard like that. Yeah. Actually, I could have ended that sentence at "grow a beard."
1: <laughs> <laughs> the situation between. Contramarin and uh, and Michael Burnham turns into a a phaser pistol battle. Uh, he eventually knocks her down and uh, is attempting to do the customary Star Trek Discovery stab in the eye. Hmm. Uh, he's got a uh, he's got kind of a big injector full of nanobots that he wants to stick into her eye. Spock comes down, tries to nerve pinch him, but uh, nerve pinches don't work because he's a zombie man
0: he's all nanites
1: yeah but but the distraction is enough for michael burnham to shoot a like death becomes her size hole in his chest
0: <laughs> yeah it's really fun when spock enters the scene and and looks at her through the hole
1: yeah yeah and he holds the candelabra through it yeah for the poster
0: <laughs> it's a fun role for bruce willis too yeah you know? yeah playing against type that's yeah. fun That's nice. The secret that we share must never become public.
1: Uh, She is not safe at this point, though, because the out of the hole pours the nanobots as kind of a as kind of a creeping school of fish that are that are heading toward her. And she's like John Woo, dual wielding phasers shooting at this crowd of nanobots that are headed toward her. And Spock is like frantically computering and uh, at the last minute he magnetizes the deck plates of this ship so the nanobots can't can't move.
0: This is what grey goo is when people talk about grey goo, right? Yeah, really scary. I like a
1: uh, grey goo and soda water sometimes if I'm if I'm out with friends.
0: I'm just never drinking vodka.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, I never heard of vodka. <laughs> I like tequila too much. Me too, man. And gin. And
0: rum. Give me that tequila soda all day. Nice beverage. Very refreshing. (laughs) They retake control of the ship, but do not stay on the ship, Ben. They instead take the shuttle back to Discovery. What happened to that ship?
1: Yeah. Spock is a little surprised by this because it was taking them somewhere in particular. And he's like, don't you want to see where we were going? And Michael Burnham is like, I don't want to do anything that control wanted us to do. Which I I think is sensible.
0: Yeah, I can get with that, but I cannot get with the idea of not taking the ship with them if they know they've eradicated the problem.
1: It is a full-size, fully-functioning, highly-advanced starship, and maybe they might need it for the next (laughs) scene where they go up against
0: a lot of starships. Every starship except that one. 30 starships. One missing. Yeah, one is not there. We are Section Thirty. We've had. To, <laughs> we've had Guys, to I have bad news. We're changing our name. <laughs> all, all of the stationery in every in everyone's quarters needs to be recycled and replaced. Yeah, we're everybody's
1: getting new business cards. <laughs> we're gonna to have to change the website. A lot of shit. It's has gotta. That's to be how a- you
0: short circuit Kinturoland, right? You change the name <laughs> of his program. It's over for him.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, this, uh, this last scene is of uh, the sky filling up with Section 31 ships. And Michael Burnham once more kind of forcefully takes control of the meeting and says, what we've got to do now is self-destruct the ship. Because this is, this is what Contreland wants. It's, 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 it's here on this ship. The only way out is to blow this thing up. So the plan is that they're going to, like, knock over a pitcher of water on the table and break for the exit and attempt to beam the crew onto the entrepreneur while setting self-destruct on the disco.
0: God, if only they had a Section 31 ship they could transport themselves to. I mean... Yeah, it would have been nice. Would probably have plenty of room. (laughs) Pike sets the auto-destruct at... Michael Burnham like (laughs) computer because we have no other choice and no other ship authorized (laughs) self-destruct I guess speaking of Pike's decision here do you think every decision he makes from here is impregnated with the knowledge that this is not where he dies
1: yeah he knows what the room looks like doesn't he
0: I wonder if he acts differently from here based on that knowledge like whatever happens if he goes to war with his fleet that's not where he dies. Right. It can't be.
1: What a thing to contemplate.
0: Because in the scene before, he's obviously very affected when he talks to Ash and Laurel, right? Like, he's, yeah. he's just detached completely. Did you like the episode, Adam? Yeah. I wonder if I would have liked the episode more if time crystals were called something else. <laughs> <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that they thought about calling them Chaos Emeralds, but then they, uh, they realized that there was like a trademark issue.
0: I can get over the idea that Boreth has been there forever. I can get over the fact that, that the monks are there to safeguard this dangerous thing. But much like Red Angel as a, as a name, I do not like Time Crystal as a name. And mm. I think to the degree that I was able to ignore how I smirked every time that was said, I really yeah. like the episode. I think it is such an Anson Mount showpiece and it really tells us so much more about captain pike than we've ever known. We've gotten a lot of episodes with him and I feel like in terms of efficiency, we know more about him after this episode than any all the others combined. Like admiral bob described him as the best of what starfleet is. And it never really made sense that they were sidelined during the klingon war even though she said that, you know, we've got to safeguard the best of us. Yeah. But when you see pike on the ground marshalling his mental resources to make a decision that would cost him everything for the greater good like you really understand what she meant in that moment and I'm very curious about how time and his time plays out from here like in tons of television shows and in movies like that have to do with these themes it's all about uncoupling yourself from the idea that you must do a thing because it is your destiny Like, that's what hope is. Hope is always having the ability to change the outcome of your story. That's the foundation that optimism is built on. And there's something sad about the idea that Star Trek may allow this timeline for him to go straight at his destination. A happy ending would allow for his ability to change his future, but it's unclear at this point whether or not he'll be allowed to. What about you, Ben? Did you like the episode? Uh,
1: i did I, I mean i think that uh we discussed some plot holes that uh that are a little discouraging at this phase you kind of want at this point in a season you know in a in a show like this where the the seasons are kind of like big clockworks of story that that resolve in an interesting and cathartic way you want them to be fudging the numbers a little bit less at this point but um in terms of like performance and just like um, being fun to watch, it was great, and um, and I agree that uh, that Anson Mount really uh, really sh- uh, did a great job in this particular
0: episode. Was Tilly even in it? I don't remember her being in it. I don't think she was, and that seems like a first. Yeah.
1: Weird. Yeah. Well, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages? Gotta do that priority one message from starfleet coming in on
0: secured channel
1: adam we have a couple of priority one messages here the first one is from maple syrup and it's to honey it says thanks for the best year
0: of my life i lush true story binterong i lush i lush i like it when uh, when people of similar viscosities are able to make a go of it <laughs>
1: Yeah. That's nice. I like it when nice complex carbohydrates get together. (laughs) Adam, do we have another Priority One message? Hey, Ben, that's
0: sweet. (laughs) Ben, our second Priority One message is from Bethany. It is to Chris. It goes like this. Happy 50th birthday, Chris, from your loving wife, Bethany. Who understands full well that while well, you're not really 50, you wish you were just one year to go. Wow. Since we don't have awesome sci-fi nicknames and I'm not cool enough to make any TGG inside jokes, I'll just say you are my greatest discovery. See, that's hilarious Aww. because they followed up a message by two people with, with nicknames. Almost self-aware in that way. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I got to say that this was meant to drop as close to 319 as possible, which I'm guessing was Chris's birthday. Uh, Sorry for the belated well wishes, but uh, happy happy 49th, Chris. No
1: less sincere of well wishes, despite their tardiness.
0: Hey, do you want to give Chris a nickname? Like just off the top of your head, it's gonna be. Mm. What's another viscous uh, topping? Agave syrup. Yeah, yeah, two agave syrup from, uh, from corn syrup. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you'd like to uh, leave a priority one message on the greatest discovery, you head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred
0: for a commercial message. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I gotta tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I gonna have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use the code TREK50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off.
1: Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day shamrock shavers, Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below the kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun, and uh, I recommend it. Uh, It works great. Uh, Trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off, plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever, Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app.
0: And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible.
1: Drunk Shimoda. I'm going to give it uh, doubly to Michael Burnham and Spock for both... Breezing past how traumatic this this situation must be for Cameron Gant when they uh, when they revive him but also making no arrangements to try and find out if Cameron Gant is control yeah <laughs> like th- this was a script problem but they weren't inhabiting the truth of this story in that moment in either way so a, l- a little shimoda like
0: there's a weird kind of meta effect to the story talking about linear time and what horror and haunted house films do, which is like, in that moment, you and I were both watching it going, you got to test him, test him, guys, like make yeah. sure he is who he, who he says he is. And then later yeah. on, like, don't go onto the haunted ship. Draw some blood and see if he goes gold. It seems related to this idea of decisions that you can't get out of. Right and how fixed your your decisions are at certain times yeah indeed weird Uh, i'm gonna give my shimoda to michael burnham's lucy from the peanuts gang groan when spock joins her on the on the shuttle mission (laughs) i wonder how many runs at that she took before (laughs) that was the keeper but like that sound was great i hope rob can drop it in here it was awesome
1: solid bit of business
0: what do we have coming up on the next episode ben well, it seems like
1: it is battle uh I saw Sarek doing a little bit of uh meditation. I saw the discovery <laughs> and you want to the... start
0: every battle
1: sequence with that, right <laughs> yeah uh I saw the discovery and the entrepreneur yeah. getting ready to fight all these section thirty one ships and uh some footage of the evacuation taking place so uh it looks like it's gonna be some pretty exciting shit
0: what i saw on one of the screens so they all need to go to this area outside of federation space like that's where right. the that's where the course was laid in on their on their ship that planet was the planet from the short treks episode that that uh, that queen alien came from who didn't want to rule oh shit you remember that episode i do it was the short treks episode that tilly was in it was called runaway and that's her home planet so
1: Tilly probably not off the show for good if uh, if that's the planet they are yeah. pulling up to.
0: Yeah. So it appears as though these short treks are becoming more and more vital to the understanding of season two. Very interesting. Maybe I'll try to watch that before next week. Well, Adam, we'll have to leave it with Robs from here.
1: Uh, so uh, so take it away, Robs. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun Podcast. Hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. And it's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Head on over to maximumfundorg slash donate
0: to support the ongoing production of our show. And a nice free way to support the show is to head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review.
1: You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. All right, thanks. We'll see you next time.